Thank you for downloading our podcast. Please be edified through this sermon from our pulpit supply while Pastor Paul Lindemulder enjoys a week off. So last summer, I graduated from seminary and my dad and I drove from San Diego back to Ohio together. Now, if you're trying to get there as fast as you can, I do not recommend driving. It takes quite a while. You could just take a plane and be there in a few hours. But in driving, I got to experience things that I would never experience from a plane. We drove through 11 different states. Unfortunately, we just missed Montana. We got to Wyoming, but not Montana. We went to six different national parks and monuments. It was an amazing journey. If you took a flight, you'd miss all of that. You wouldn't know that over half of the state of Utah is either a state or national park. There's like, it's it's similar to here. There's like no people there. It's perfect for an introvert like me. It's like, might be on my list someday. You still get to the same destination, right? But you miss out on the journey. And in many ways, this is exactly what Psalm 119 is. It's about the journey of life. As one commentator says, if the goal of the author was to create the spiritual experience he seeks, then those who wish the psalm were shorter have missed the point of it. Its idea can be communicated in a verse or two, but merely knowing the theology is not equivalent to being in the state of mind that comes from reading it in a deliberate and reflective fashion. There are liturgies that are best short, and others, like Psalm 119, that only work if they are long. Psalm 119 is deliberately long because it reflects the journey of life. If you want the message, like you can go back a couple psalms, and Psalm 117 is the shortest psalm in the Psalter. Psalm 119 is the longest. And they have the same, same message, right? Praise God. Psalm 117 says, Praise the Lord, all you nations. Praise him, all you peoples, for great is his love, steadfast love towards us. And in many ways, that's the message of Psalm 119, except it has 176 verses to get there. You see, you can know in your head that you should love God, love his law, and seek to follow him with all your heart. You can know that from one sentence. But what you need to actually get through the storms of life is a persistent faith that lasts through absolutely everything. The kind of faith that prays when things are going well and keeps on praying when things aren't going so well. The kind of faith that loves God and his word even when life couldn't be worse. You see, if you pray Psalm 119 from start to finish, you pray through the good and the bad. You pray when it's easy to love God And you pray even when it seems God hates you and is out to get you. So in the midst of the chaos of life, in the midst of a world where we're surrounded by evil, 
We have this psalm as a refuge, a retreat to recalibrate us in our walk with God. This psalm does that by teaching us about three things. Our purpose, our enemies, and our God. So let's start with the first, our purpose. Look with me at verse 1. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole hearts, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. The first thing Psalm 119 teaches us about our purpose is that we're created for blessing. And we get that blessing by walking in the law of the Lord. I love this image that the psalmist gives us of walking with God. Right In his word, God gives us a path. He lays out how we are to live, how we were created to glorify and enjoy him. And our task is to keep our eyes focused on this path. Joshua tells Israel, be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn it from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. I keep your eyes focused on the path. Where I uh, was a youth pastor, I was in Amish country in Ohio, and there were lots of buggies. I don't know if you've seen these before, but I'm sure all of you have seen horses before. And these buggies, the horses would all have blinders on their eyes, right? And they have these because there would be cars that would drive right beside the buggies. And if the horse has the blinders on, he can't see the car. He can't be afraid or get spooked by the car. He has to keep his eyes on the path ahead. He can't turn to the right or to the left. The blinders keep the horse focused on the path straight ahead. See, we are calling... Our design, our purpose, is to walk in the law of the Lord, to turn neither to the right nor to the left. In verse 2, we seek him with our whole heart. The word here has the sense of investigating or inquiring. Are you actively searching God's word to hear from him? Are you investigating scripture to see what God requires from you? Are you meditating upon it? Is there a sense of urgency? Is God more important to you than anything else? Is he at the center of your heart? At the end of last year, I came across this story of a Chinese family whose son was kidnapped at four years old. From what I understand, this is a pretty common occurrence in China with their um, birth policy. The way their culture works is it's more advantageous to have a son rather than a daughter. So this black market emerges where sons are kidnapped and sold to others for a high price. Now this, since there's so many of these cases, this case quickly went cold. There were no leads at all. But that didn't stop this father's pursuit of his son. For 14 years, he exhausted every single option. 
he sold off property and possessions so that he could offer a reward for anyone who could give him any information about his son. He checked out every single lead he was offered. And finally, after 14 years, the police found his son. He drove over a thousand miles to meet his son. You see, this man sought his son with his whole heart, and he absolutely refused to stop until he found him. Do you seek God with this kind of abandon, right? Just this wholehearted desire to know him, to see him, to love him, to cherish him. Do you love God so wholeheartedly that you'd rather have him than anything else in this world? See, this is what Psalm 119 tells us we were made for. We were made to love God's word, to meditate on it day and night, to store it up in our hearts. We were made to glorify God and enjoy him forever. A little Presbyterianism in there for you. But the problem is that none of us do that. None of us seek God with our whole hearts. None of us perfectly keep his law. And the psalmist knows this. Look at verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander away from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You see, the psalmist knows that he is inclined towards sin. He's inclined to turn away from God. Otherwise, he wouldn't need to try to keep his way pure. He would just naturally do it. And he makes this more clear later in the psalm. In verse 67, he says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. See, this is the same guy who's constantly meditating on how much he loves God's word. Over and over, he praises God and begs him to teach him according to his word. And yet, he still goes astray. You see, we were created for blessing to perfectly keep God's word, and yet none of us can do it. It is impossible to put more effort into keeping God's law than the psalmist does. And yet, he still strays away from God. Some of us here today may think that it's possible to do enough to earn God's blessing. If I just pray enough, God will give me what I want. If I read the Bible more, then God will listen to me. And what I want you to know is that on your own, nothing you do will ever be enough. Your efforts will never be enough. And the psalmist shows us why that's the case by teaching us about our enemies. The psalmist recognizes that we live in a world surrounded by evil and injustice. His enemies are a constant presence in this psalm. Starting in verse 21, he writes, You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander away from your commandments. And he continues, and in verse 23, these arrogant ones are the ones who plot against him. These enemies mock him in verse 51. In verse 61, 
the cords of the wicked ensnare him. And it all comes to a head in verses 82 through 86, which is the center of this psalm. He says, My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? For I have become like a wineskin in the smoke, yet I have not forgotten your statutes. How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? The insolent have dug pitfalls for me. They do not live according to your law. All your commandments are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. See, he's at the end of his rope here. He compares himself to a wineskin in the smoke because he feels dried out, shriveled up. He's just got nothing left. Yet his enemies are still surrounding him. And notice he consistently compares his love for God's law with his enemies' utter disregard for it. They're marked by law, lies rather than truth. They're marked by arrogance rather than humility. They twist their own rules so that they can persecute the psalmist all the more. In your life, there is constant pressure to crack. We're surrounded every day by a culture that arrogantly disregards God and his word. You may have an employer who's out to get you. You may have had rumors spread about you. You may be bullied, harassed, and humiliated like the psalmist was. People haven't changed in the last thousand years. And you know what it's like to go through all of this and feel like God just isn't there. He isn't doing anything. So the question is why? Why does God allow these enemies in our lives? Why does God allow evil things to happen to us? Look with me at verse 71. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The psalmist here teaches us something that has stood true across the ages. When things are going well, we can forget about God. Remember the psalmist says in verse 67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But when he was afflicted, how does he finish that verse? But now I keep your word. You see, God uses affliction. He uses suffering to wake us up, to bring us back to him. And if you look at this psalm as a whole, you see this play out. From verses 1 through 88, there's a struggle. The psalmist admits that he's being led astray. He falls away in verse 67. In verse 61, he's ensnared by his enemies. He's trapped and led the wrong way. But then we reach the climax of this psalm in verses 92 through 93. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. See, something has happened to the psalmist. Something has changed in his heart. Before his affliction, the psalmist loved God's word on a certain level. He knew in his head that God's word is the way to life and blessing. But now he's actually experienced it. 
He went astray. He left God in the dust. He was surrounded by his enemies. He almost died. But in that moment, with everything on the line, he trusted God to save him. If your law had not been my delight, he says, I would have perished in my affliction. See, it's, it's easy to believe in God, right? To know in your head the truths of the Christian faith, right? It's easy to say, I believe God. But it's a whole other thing to trust God, to rely on him to save you, right? You can't know what a person truly believes until we can test it. I can say, I believe that this chair will support me. But until I actually sit down in it, do you know if I believe the chair will support me? You see, the rest of this psalm reflects this deep trust, this saving faith that the psalmist has. He's afflicted again and again. The afflictions don't stop. I wish I could tell you that they did. But he never goes astray. He's never pleading for God to rescue him again because he knows that God will do it. In fact, God has already done it. He knows his rescue will come. In fact, I think the ESV misses the point a little bit in the last verse of the psalm. This is how the psalm ends, the last thing we hear from the psalmist. It says, I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant. I think it's better rendered as simply, I went astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant. Right? The psalmist did go astray. He did wander away. But now he has the faith that can withstand what the enemies throw at him because God continuously seeks him. And that brings us to our last point for this evening. The psalmist teaches us about our God. We just saw how the psalmist's faith changes during the psalm. At the beginning of the psalm, he has this knowledge. He loves God. He knows that God blesses those who follow his law. But then once he goes astray, once he's afflicted, then this knowledge becomes a sturdy faith, a steady trust. He's at the end of his rope, facing literal death, and he relies on God to save him. So how did he make that journey? How did he get there? Well, because God has been there the whole time teaching him. At the beginning of this psalm in verse 12, he says, Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. And that's exactly what God does. Look at the marked change that occurs in the psalmist's heart. In verse 22, he says, Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Compare that with verse 141. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. But take everything bad away from me, because I have done everything right. And over here he says, I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Now I absolutely believe that we should take our prayer requests to God. I believe that we should ask God to help us when bad things happen to us. But in verse 22, why does the psalmist think that God should help him? 
Why is it? It's because he kept God's law. Even though we found out in verse 67 that he didn't keep God's law. He freely admits he went astray. See, at the beginning of this psalm, the psalmist has a kind of prosperity gospel-like faith. right? I do good things, then God gives me good things. But at the end of this psalm, in verse 141, he's still treated with scorn and contempt. He's still small and despised, and yet he does not forget God's word. He says, Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. What a statement. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. This is exactly what a lifetime with God as your teacher does to your faith. As Proverbs teaches us, God disciplines those whom he loves. Without God's loving discipline in our lives, we're left with an immature faith. Do you remember the parable of the sower? Jesus gives this parable where a sower, someone who spreads out seeds, goes out to the field. And while he's spreading these seeds, the seeds spread across four different types of ground. And what Jesus says is that the seed is the free offer of the gospel. And the question is, how will people receive it? There is seed that falls along a path that birds immediately devour. These people don't believe God's word for an instant. Then there is seed that falls on rocky ground. But those plants were scorched by the sun since they had no root. As soon as there's some affliction in their lives, their faith evaporated. Other seeds fell among thorns, which choked those plants out. And finally, some seeds fell on good soil and grew well. What Psalm 119 shows us is that the sun will beat down on us. Thorns will come to choke us out. But if we have faith, God, our teacher, will protect us. He'll shade us from the sun and send rain. He'll weed out the thorns so that we can grow. I wish I could tell you that in this life, if you're a Christian, all, everything will always go well for you. But that's not true. Instead, what I need to ask you is, can you say what the psalmist says in verse 141? Can you be small and despised and still trust in God? Can you be marked by trouble and anguish, but still delight in God and his word? That's the mature faith that a life with God as your teacher gives you. But that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is not simply that with God by our side, we can make it through the hardships of life. The end of the story is actually the beginning. God will bless those who seek him with their whole heart. We're created for this blessing, but we lost it. God created human beings to experience his blessing forever, but they didn't keep his law. They broke it. And every one of us since then has been unable to keep God's law. So we find ourselves in a world filled with evil, with enemies, with constant temptations to lead us away from God. That should mean that there is no hope. 
If no one can keep God's law, then no one can have his blessing. We should all be under his judgment and curse. But folks, there is hope. Because there was one of us who did keep God's law. There was one whose way was blameless. There was one who walked in the law of the Lord. There was one who did no wrong, who walked in God's ways. And instead of asking God to spare him from scorn and contempt, Jesus Christ went willingly to the cross to die. God is perfectly just. His justice requires perfect obedience if we are to enjoy his, his presence. But instead of enjoying God's perfect blessing for himself, Jesus traded that blessing for our curse so that we may be blessed by God. You know, sometimes it's daunting to read the Psalms. And if you read them in the first person, you start with Psalm 1, and you're like, blessed is the man who walks in the law of the Lord, who delights in his ways, who does not sit with the wicked, right? He keeps his law perfectly, meditates on it day and night. And you're like, I can't do that, right? You're honest with yourself. If you're reading the Psalms and you're trying to put yourself in the psalmist's shoes and pray these to God, you're like, how on earth am I ever going to do it? The point is you're not. You can't. But God gave us one who can. The reason that God could deliver the psalmist from death is because Jesus died for him. Not ultimately because of the psalmist's law-keeping for Jesus, but because of Jesus' law-keeping for him. Do you trust Jesus to deliver you from death? You see, because of Jesus' love for you, you can have the blessing that he earned. You can know that through all of the trials, all of the chaos, the evil of this life, that there is a better life to come. God freely offers this salvation to you. He wholeheartedly offers to save you. So turn to him. Let's pray. Thank you for subscribing and listening to our podcast. We hope and pray that our sermons encourage you as you sojourn on your Christian walk. If you have any questions about our church, please contact our pastor through our webpage, urcbelgrade.com. That is urcbelgrade.com. We also have many sermon series archived and available for download on our website, urcbelgrade.com. Until we meet again, may the Lord's blessing and peace be upon you.